Well, we finish up a series uh, this week. Do you believe what you believe you believe? Do you believe what you believe you believe? Uh, if you missed one of those weeks, I would encourage you to go back, check it out. Uh, you might you can go on our YouTube page. You can go. We've got an iTunes account. You can you can see any of the past messages messages there. If there's something that resonates, maybe you've got a friend or a coworker, somebody that is has some questions about faith, be a great thing to share with them. I encourage you to do that. Uh, and we've talked about over the last few weeks some of the big important things about belief. We've talked about uh, the existence of God. Is there, is, is there some proofs? Are there some foundations for our belief? We talked about uh, God's word. Is it authoritative? Is it reliable? Can we trust it? We talked about last week the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the linchpin event of our faith. It all hinges on the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how that impacts our lives. And then today we're going to talk about probably the, the question that more people struggle with, that causes more people maybe to walk away from faith or not consider faith at all, the question of why, the question of suffering, the question of the problem of evil. No one really asks the question, why do bad things happen to bad people? We're not really concerned about that so much, but we are concerned about why do bad things happen to good people? What's the answer to that question? What, well, how could a God that, that created this world, that is this loving God, how could he allow suffering and evil, the evil that we see in our world? Philip Yancey called it the question that never goes away, the question of why. We ask why. When we see COVID statistics that tell us that 5 million plus people have died worldwide, most of us having in some way been touched very keenly, very personally by that, uh, by that tragedy. We ask why when we see stories, hear stories of the atrocities coming out of the war in Ukraine, innocent families and children and the elderly. We ask why when we hear of the death toll in a paradise like Maui. Hundred plus people die. Thousands of buildings burn. More thousands more displaced from their homes. We ask why. As millions of people across the African continent are facing what has been described as drought and war-induced catastrophic, a catastrophic hunger crisis. Somalia and Ethiopia and the Democratic Republic of Congo and Yemen and South Sudan. We ask why when we continue to hear stories of school shootings and mass murders. We ask why when we hear stories of earthquakes and floods and hurricanes. And the list goes on and on and on. And just like with politics, it's all local. Because the question that really plagues us is the question of why when my own, in, in my own life I experience pain and suffering and evil, and I ask the question, why? Why when I lose a loved one? Why when I see them battle with dementia and Alzheimer's? Why when f people that I love or maybe myself are faced with chronic pain or cancer? Why when my faithfulness is met with what I struggle with lost jobs and relational heartbreak? Why, when my sacrifice seems to be paid back with struggle and sorrow, why? Tennyson wrote, Never more morning were to evening, but that some heart did break. Why? Why, why, why? I want to take you back to a story I've told you before, but a story that's one of the classic stories from the Culp uh, household. 
Uh, Caleb, our oldest son, was at that point in high school where he was deciding on uh, school to want to play college uh, soccer, and so he was deciding, and he decided to play at Cornerstone University, and it was after the first of the year, and they were having this big event where all these people were coming, and everyone was going to sign, and it was just this big deal that they were doing at the school, and so we had planned on going, but then the weather took a turn, and the snow started falling, and so we were debating on whether to go or not, he really wanted to go, really wanted to be part of this, he felt it was this big deal, and so we decided to take off, and as we take off, the weather gets worse and worse and worse. Whiteout conditions. If anybody has driven between here and Grand Rapids along the, uh, that route along the lake, you know how crazy it can get. It was so bad as we were driving, and we got to that point where we we're just as you know, far from home as we were from you know, Grand Rapids in the school. And so, uh, but it was so bad, whiteout conditions, we couldn't see uh, really in front of our faces. We couldn't even see the edge lines of the highway, you know, where the edge was or where the, the center line was. It was so bad. Finally, there was this big semi in front of us and it's light, he had his flashers on and I could see his flashers and so I just got behind that semi and we just followed the flashers because I thought if I can just follow the flashers I couldn't see the I couldn't see the edge lines I couldn't see the center line there were cars off the road everywhere and we just kept going if I can just keep following the truck and following the lights we'll make it and we did we made it as we think about today as we think about this subject and the question of why. I know that I don't have all the answers that will totally lift the fog, the storm of doubt that comes into our lives at times. The pain and the struggle that we experience, the evil that we see in our world and all the answers to those questions that come with it. But instead what I want us to do, I want to show you some of the lights the flashing lights, that if we'll follow these lights, we might not have all the answers and be able to totally satisfy all the things that, that are the questions inside of us. But if we can just trust to follow the lights to get through the storm, because one day when we get there to our eternal home, we'll understand. But until then, can we trust enough? Can we get through the doubt to trust enough to keep going? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, I'm reminded of what Paul said that's related. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The mirror that Paul is describing, think about first century mirror. Not the clear mirror where you can see every single detail, but think more of a, a, a piece of metal that they've shined up really, uh, you know, where you can kind of make out a fuzzy image. Not, again, the mirrors like we have today, but just a, just a, a dim, fuzzy just representation as we look at that mirror. For now we see in a mirror dimly. And that's what we see on this side of eternity. That's what we see in our lives, that we, we kind of have some answers. And that's what we want to look at today. And knowing that in the future, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to have all the answers at that point. But until then, it's a piece of its trust. Trusting in the midst of the storm to follow the flashing lights in the storm, in the fuzzy, when we can see dimly, to keep trusting the flashing lights, the truth that we know that we can understand from God's word. And so let me give us some of those flashing lights that will help us 
some points of light in the storm of the evil of, of evil and suffering. And the first is this, that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. You've all heard that response to evil and suffering. Well, and, and maybe you even, even said it or thought it yourself. Well, if God is God, then why didn't God just create a world where there was no evil, there was no suffering? I mean, if he's God. We have to consider that God created this world with giving us all the capacity to choose, giving us the capacity to love, to love him, to love one another. And, and into that world that he created, I mean, you, you think about that, you can't, you can't love, someone can't love you if they have no choice. And God gave us that choice to love him. We're given that option, and as we are given that option, we can have that option of rejecting God, to choose to sin, to choose to ignore the laws that God set up, this whole book that he gave us, that if we followed his word and followed what he said, that, that this is the, the key to, keys to life and how we should live, but we ignore it. We can think about and have our own opinion. Well, you know, if I were God, I, I, would, I would do it this way. And why didn't he just, it would have been better for him to have created a world where there was no capacity to sin, no capacity for evil, no capacity for those things. And, and, and that certainly is your opinion, but I'm just spitballing that maybe, just maybe, that God knows more than we do. That God can see things that we can't see, that God can see and, and he can into the future and know that this way, what he created, is the best way. Can we trust him? Can we trust that we have a God that knows more than we do. In the garden, Adam and Eve were given a choice. They were given a choice, and the, 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 the consequences that came as a result of what they choose were devastating for them and devastating to us. It still reverberates through history. The result of their sin, the source of suffering, moral evil. The immorality and the pain that comes when we choose to ignore God, we choose to do our own thing. Before we get too down on Adam and Eve, we have to recognize that all of us are also sinners. Scripture tells us that in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we, like Adam and Eve, have made our choice as well. We have sinned as they did. We've contributed to the pain that racks this world. And we look at our world and some of the pain that we experience, some of the suffering that we experience, is a direct result of the dumb things, the sinful things that we do. And sometimes it's a result of the sinful things that other people do that impacts us. Choices of unfaithfulness in our marriage or lies or deceit come in many different forms. Or maybe it's not the, just the overt sins that we might think about or the choices that we make, but even the secret things. And those secret things that we think that nobody knows or understands and how pain and suffering follows those choices as well. Maybe the choice of some addiction. It started off fun and great and it seemed all wonderful. And then the bondage came and the struggle came with it. And the destruction came into our relationships and into our own lives. We didn't think through the consequences until later. And so some of the suffering in our world and some of the suffering we experience, again, is a result of our own actions. But also, we have to admit that some of this pain and some of the suffering, some of the evil in our world are the result of our inactions. Think about what I just mentioned a few minutes ago about the famines that are going on in our world. 
And we, we see those things. We see what's happening on the African continent. We ask ourselves the, the question, well, why, God, would you allow that? And just to give, a little, give us a little reality check, I checked several different sources, and all the sources say the same thing, that we produce every year in this world that we live in enough food to feed the world's population, some 8 billion-plus people, one and a half times every year. No one needs to starve. Or what about children that die from drinking contaminated water or that die from being bitten by a mosquito that carries malaria when a simple bed net over their bed would protect them, but yet they die? I want to share something I shared several weeks ago that I think relates. Sometimes I want to ask God, God, why do you allow poverty and famine and injustice in the world when, when he could do something about it? But I'm afraid he might ask me the same question. And so we have to just own the reality that some of the suffering and some of the evil in our world is a direct result not just of our choices and what we do, but are the result of what we don't do. There's another form of evil in our world that impacts our suffering and all the things going on, and it's what we could call natural evil. Natural evil, the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the hurricanes and the floods and the fires. Way back in the garden, God warned them, if you eat of that tree, if you disobey me, there will be repercussions. There will be, there will be brokenness that will come as a result. There will be death that will come as a result. In Genesis 3, we see God outlining some of the curses of, of, of what, what's going to happen. Here's just what's going to happen as a result of the choices that now you have made to disobey me. And he said, the ground is cursed. This earth is cursed because of you, because of what you've done. Romans 8, carries that theme. For we know that the whole, whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Friends, as I said last week, this world is broken by our sin. That's the world we live in. And God created a world with the potential for pain and suffering. It is the cost of living free. The cost of being able to love and to be loved, to do good and not good. How many of us, before we had kids, made the conscious decision? Some of us didn't make the conscious decision. It kind of happened uh, more by accident. But some of us made a conscious decision that we were going to have kids. We wanted to have kids. And as parents, we, we made that choice, even though we knew the potential pain and heartbreak and even future rebellion and rejection that might happen as a result. But we chose anyway. And God did the same. He created us knowing that he wanted to love us. And he wanted us to love him. And he wanted us to love one another. But in creating that world, the price is pain and brokenness and suffering. But God didn't. God's not the author of that evil and suffering. God can use, secondly, the second light that is flashing. God can use it to accomplish good. He doesn't make the pain, doesn't make the suffering, but he can bring good from it. As we think about that, it's, it's not something when someone's going through a tough time that you share, well, God's going to bring good out of this, whatever the horrible situation they're in. I mean, that people, when they're in something, they don't necessarily want to, to hear that. We have to be careful with, with sharing that in some flippant, uh, not in a, a kind, uh, understanding way, but that truth is powerful, that there can be good that comes through suffering. 
Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God can take those things, those, those, those times of suffering, those, those points of evil in our lives, and he can bring them around for his good. Notice what that scripture says, for those who love him. And many of us, if we were to admit it, we could, we could look back on our lives and we, in those times of suffering, in those times of pain that we've experienced, we can look back now and see in reverse how that has worked out. And that God had used it to teach us something, to help us with something that, that we're stronger or better in whatever way. We can look back and see it. And we wouldn't want to go back there. I've heard some of you say that. I wouldn't want to go back and relive that. But I can see the result now. We see it in, we see it in the life of Joseph, a great example. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's falsely accused. He spends, times in prison, spends years imprisoned. Continues to be faithful to God. And then scripture says... After, you know, a lot of things happen, his brothers now come and, uh, you know, decades later, the ones who had sold him into slavery, and this is what he says to them in Genesis 50. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God turned it around. In the midst of our pain, God can turn it around. I think of, a, think of an animal, I think of a, a fox. Let's use a fox as an example that, that is caught in a trap and we come along and we see the animal, we see the fox in the trap and we want to free the, the animal, the fox, out of the, out of the trap. But in order to get the, his leg out of the trap, you have to push his leg further into the trap to free the, tra- free the fox from the trap. Now what's the, the, what's the fox thinking as you shove his leg further into the trap to get him out of the trap? He's thinking, oh, he's, they're, they're going to kill me doesn't understand what's going on, doesn't have the capacity to understand what's going on in and, and, and us compared to the, the fox, the intellect, and then compare us to God. And maybe God knows some things as he pushes us, and maybe there's some pain that we have to experience in the short term because there's some freedom coming as a result in the end. Can we choose to trust our God? As we follow the lights, there's sometimes dim we sometimes struggle God wants to help turn our doubt to faith as we choose to trust him to choose to trust that God is working on our behalf another thing that we could say that's really important a flashing light is that suffering will end and God will judge evil we can take that to the bank sometimes we struggle we see the evil we see the suffering we see the wrong in our world and we just wonder God why don't you make that right why God I, I'm reminded of what uh, the, the prophet the prophet Habakkuk says to his uh, in his day God why does the ev- why do evil men prosper and the righteous suffer why at times we don't understand that why things go unpunished seems that people get away with it there's so much suffering in our world but friends I just want to encourage you God is not turning a blind eye even though his timeline is different than ours God will make all things right in his time. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 37, verse 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are persevered forever, preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. And there's any number of of scriptures that, that carry that same theme, that he will take care of it, that he will make all things right. As has been said, justice delayed is not justice denied. 
or Strobel writes in his book, and we've, I've shared with you some, some resources. Strobel also wrote a book, in, in addition to the case for Christ that I've shared with you, the case for faith, where he talks about the problem of evil. And, and in the, at the end of that, uh, that chapter, he talks about, you know, criticizing God for not doing right now is like reading half a novel and criticizing the author for not resolving the plot. Friends, this world, chapters are still being written. But God will make all things right. God is actually de- de- delaying the consummation of history so that those people, as has been said, that are still following the breadcrumbs, that there is a God that loves them, that he wants to be in a relationship with them. He's giving them a chance. Some of you today, he's giving you a chance. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And so make no mistake, God will make it right, but he's also giving us a chance. And that justice is being delayed because he wants to give us a chance. Now, the other reality I think that's helpful for us in case, I mean, we, we uh, and I talk about this a lot. I know I repeat myself a lot because this is something I think that, that if there's anything that we struggle with more than anything else, it's this issue that when things don't go right in our lives, we, we begin to start to, to distrust God and wonder about God when he doesn't answer our prayer in the time frame that we, we think that he should. And we, we get mistaken this mistaken notion that, that everything is going to turn out okay in this world and right in this world. And we struggle when, when God doesn't answer our prayer to fix everything like we think that he should. But Jesus told us, in this world you will, not you might. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Paul, who is, I mean, if anybody could get away with you know, getting some preferential treatment because of the awesome individual that he was, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, he, he plants all these churches. He's, he's galvanizing the leadership of the New Testament church. He's writing all these letters to churches. He, he's helping. He's doing all this wonderful work presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when he talks about his own life and how, how his own life had gone and he kind of illustrates, here's what I have experienced did he get a pass? Did everything work out great in his life? This is what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I was beaten five times with a whip, uh, beaten three times with rods, stoned, shipwrecked three times. One of the, hey, Maybe he needs to like give up uh, boating. But anyway, uh, shipwrecked three times. One of them spending a night and day in the open sea. Danger from Rogers, robbers. Danger from his own people. Danger from Gentiles in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers at sea. Danger from false brothers. Do you hear the pattern? All these things going on, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, without food, exposed to cold. And we could add, at the end of his life, he languishes in prison and he dies a martyr, killed for his faith. But Paul had, in the midst of all of that that was going on, an eternal perspective that helped him in the storm. And having an eternal perspective, again, is one of those points of light, gives us some help as we think about the suffering, this, this temporary suffering that we are enduring, gives us perspective on that, this eternal heavenly reality that in the midst of this suffering, that this world is not our home. Let me, here's some great memorization. Uh, you should put this on your list of things to memorize. And this, these were all written from the guy who had all this trouble. And this is what he said. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For this light, momentary affliction. 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Or Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And what did Jesus say? He told us in John 14, I'm going to go away. This is right before his own departure from this world. Being crucified, he said, I'm going to go away to prepare a place, and, but I'm going to come back and to take you to be with me, to this place that I've, that I've prepared for us. He's going to take us to him into that eternal reward, but that's not now and it's not here. British pastor Gavin Reed tells a story of his interaction with a young 17-year-old boy that was in a hospital. He'd been in and out of the hospital most of his life, subject to chronic pain. He'd fallen down a flight of stairs. He'd broken his back, and he'd been in the hospital since. And this pastor visiting him, and, and the young man uh, mentioned that he thought God was fair. And he said, son, how long have you been in and out of the hospital? He said, well, 13 years. But yet, Pastor Reed says, yet you believe God's fair? What do you mean by that? And this is the young 17-year-old's response. The way I see it, God has all eternity to make it up for me. Make it up, make it up to me, and he will. That's an eternal perspective. Now imagine a child uh, has an illness, and that child dies. Lives a very short life. And then imagine, and we, and, we, and we think, we look at that, and we think, well, that just seems totally unfair. I don't understand why that child, you know, why. We have all these questions of why. And then we think of, uh, let's, let's imagine an 80-plus-year-old uh, older adult, and they've lived this wonderful full life, and the same illness that took that child takes this older adult, and we look at that life, and what do we say of that life? Well, that was just a, a life well lived, that, you know, they lived a good, long life, and, and we have no problem. We think, actually, that's kind of the way it should be. As they get to the end of their life. And if you think of, think of the geometry of the kingdom. And think about that, that child that died early. And if we think about, about their life as a line segment. A line segment is a line uh, that has a beginning and an end. And we think about that life that had a beginning and an end. And it's not very long. And then you look at the, the older adult. And their line segment, the geometry of the kingdom, their line segment is long. And because, what's the difference between the two? The two line segments? The amount of time that's represented. And we say one's fair and one's not. But that's not kingdom. That's not kingdom geometry. Kingdom geometry is a ray, and a ray has a beginning point that goes out into eternity, into infinity, from a point that begins to infinity, and that's the kingdom. We are born, and, and as we put our trust in Christ, we're going to live forever. And so what's the difference between, if we think about the child or the older adult, what's the difference between 60 or 70 or 80 years in comparison when you look at it with an eternal perspective of the kingdom? We need a king, some kingdom geometry. And then as we think about all of that, we just need to think about what's our response going to be. We must decide that response. In the face of all the why, question, why questions, what is our response going to be? In those moments when life is unclear, what are we going to choose? In those moments when we don't understand, what are we going to choose? In those moments that, that, it, that life doesn't seem to be going, and it's not fair, going the way that we think 
that it should go, what are we going to do? What are we going to choose? John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Choose today to take heart. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. Choose. Choose to follow the taillights that are flashing in front of you. And no, it's not totally clear. And no, we can't see all the edge lines. And no, we can't see our totally understand and see our final destination, all those things. But can we trust? Can we follow the blinking lights? And choose to take heart and trust that our Savior has overcome the world. Today we have the privilege of being able to have a little extended worship time. We're going to take communion together. Communion is that moment where we remember what Jesus did for us. The bread representing the body of Christ that was nailed to a cross for us. The cup representing the blood of Christ shed for us so that we could experience forgiveness. At least trouble at the end of that chapter on evil and suffering He said, in summary, the answer then to the question of evil and suffering is really no answer at all. It is at the end all about the answerer. It's Jesus himself. He is the answer. It's not a bunch of words. It is the word. Jesus, the word incarnate. It's not a tightly woven philosophical argument. It is the person, the person. So today I want to encourage you as we take communion and to invite you to come and and we're going to have this extended time of worship and as you come you can kneel, take your time, you can take it back to your seat if you'd like and just spend some time with the answer. In the midst of some of the unknown to just trust the answer. Jesus is the answer. That God loved us so much that he sent Jesus as the answer. That this world is not our home and there's things that we're not going to understand, but we can trust the answer. Jesus is the answer. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to pray for you. I want to encourage you to do that. Think about that decision as you prepare to take communion today. And if you have some need, you have some struggle, you have something you don't understand, then today, in the midst of, of understanding everything, in the midst of the blur and the fog and the storm, will you trust the answer? So Father, in Jesus' name, As we move into this time of taking communion, this time of worship, this time of spending with you, I pray, Father, that you'd wrap your arms around those that are here, that, Father, that your spirit would rest in this room, in homes and cars or whatever as they listen in different ways around. And that, Father, you just remind us that you're here with us. I thank you for that person today that's making a decision to invite Christ to be their Savior, to be the answer in the midst of all the issues as they confess their sin. Thank you, God, for setting them free today. God, I pray for those people that are just struggling today. I pray that you'd be near them, help them as we take communion, as we worship, that you would be here in this room. And I pray in Jesus' name.